Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. I'll have a link for that down below in the subscription or on the page on IC. Um, that really helps us out. I always want your feedback and to just hear from you on what you think of the pod, what, what you think we could do better, what you're enjoying. Um, just any thoughts, comments, anything. We always, uh, always appreciate it. Um, joined today by my co-host, Tom Lewis. Tom, how are you doing today? Uh, doing well, Mark. Good talking with you. It's good to see Pacers are back in action, at least in preseason uh, workouts. So uh, it's getting getting exciting here. A couple weeks. Yeah, we're recording this Sunday night. So uh, from right now, six games until preseason. Uh, I mean, six six games, six days until the first preseason game. Um, so we yeah. have uh, a lot of stuff's going to be happening pretty quickly. So I, I'm looking forward to that and covering it. I'm going to try and take a break for a day or two this week, hopefully. But I, I imagine that will be dashed <laughs> very quickly. Um, but yeah, well, a lot to, to kind of get ready for. So this is going to be, uh, we are recording our mailbag podcast today. First of all, thank you to everyone who sent in the awesome mailbag questions. Um, I always Indeed, appreciate that. Yes. Tom and I love that. I mean, we get some awesome feedback. Um, I remember the first time we set up to do this, I was, I had no idea how many questions we were going to get and it's only grown <laughs> since then. So it's been really cool. Um, this is probably the last one we're going to get to do for a while. Cause we will be pretty slammed with stuff. Uh, once the season starts, but we will, of course, be trying to get them in. Um, so I think there are a lot of good ones. I'm trying to figure out which one I want to get us started with because uh, there, there are quite a few bigger ones that are going to be pretty good discussion. Um, I think the first one I'll do is from uh, Yuba Baya, who always hits us with some great questions. Um, to condense it down, he asked, uh, so if you could go back in time and change something in the Pacers' recent history – uh, what would it be and why? Malice of the Palace, signing Andrew Bynum, trading Kawhi, or something else? Um, so I have something in mind, but I'll let you go first. Uh, for me, it would be Paul George not breaking his leg on that yeah. Team USA game, uh, honestly. Uh, because, you know, and quick shout out to SB Nation, NBA mm -hmm. folks. They just did a great uh, video breakdown of uh, – of, problems the Pacers had and they, you know, they, there were other issues that they attributed the downfall with. But uh, to me, um, as frustrating as that prior season was the way it ended, Paul was still ascending and the team was still uh, one that was going to be reckoned with me in a major way. And they all, you know, especially I, I think about a guy like David West. I remember that the media day after Paul's injury. And I mean, he was still, I mean, it was like he was ready to give up the season, you know, and that's not David West, you know? Yeah. Um, and they were surprising that season and he kept, you know, he had a hand in it. Um, but, it, it, you know, he knew, he, you know, he knew the opportunity was gone. Um, and the, the killer, uh, you know, I just think about that week and the videos with he, with, Paul and KD playing these vicious one-on-ones and, you know, he was, he was in getting in that elite company and he's, you know, playing at that level. And, 
and that just was gone in an instant. And so I guess because I was pretty close with that team and felt like, you know, knew that was such a, you know, it was a catastrophic end. Um, you know, obviously if the guy didn't throw the cup in, in Detroit, take that back also, because uh, that team was kind of on the same cusp of something great. Um, but I just felt like that would have been such a fun next season if, if uh, Paul hadn't gotten injured and, um, and really they, they never recovered. Yeah. So that's a good question. Yeah. I like that question <laughs> too. We, I got, think... we got a few options these days. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, I have a couple of thoughts off that. I think my first one, especially looking at, w- at what you're mentioning. Um, I mean, just given where the East was at that next year, um, that Pacers team would have uh, had a really good shot to be, I, I mean, I believe the Hawks were the one seed 14, 15 um, because yeah, it was LeBron's first year in Cleveland. Yeah. It sounds That's right, the 61, yeah. Haw- 61 Hawks team. The East is terrible at that point. Like that is probably the worst the East has been in the last decade. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that Cavs team his first year was pretty bereft of rotation talent outside of Kyrie and Kevin Love. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a case for it. But I also think, too, um, I mean, obviously, like like they mentioned in the video and, you know, we uh, we did a lot of work over the summer talking about that team um, just because of, you know, how impertinent they are in both of our minds. You know, that's why I got into basketball. Um, mm-hmm. I just wonder, you know, was that team so fractured? after the Eastern conference finals that they really could have even come back. Cause I think you look at it and I mean, what Roy did when he was at his peak is why the team was so successful. I mean, you can point to all of the other players, but I think once you lost Roy's confidence, that team was done. I mean, he, if he wasn't playing at his peak on both sides of the ball, because he is as much as, I mean, he wasn't a great offensive player by any means, but if he was like playing within himself and, and, he was able to take advantage of his matchups that he got. Uh, I mean, that was huge for the offense. They just didn't really have other outlets. It was basically Paul, uh, Paul, David, or, or Lance scoring, and you got the occasional stuff from George, of course. He was always consistent, but um, I don't know. I, that's just something that I always, I always think about. Just with with how Roy was in thirteen fourteen, could he have even really bounced back in fourteen fifteen? Yeah, and I mean that's a good good point. I think. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff gets washed away after a season, though, when you come back and everybody, you know, they kind of reestablish roles and, and all that type of thing. Now, I don't know if, you know, the, the, the refereeing of Roy changed at that time, too, which eventually slid him out. So um, they would mm-hmm. have had to do, you know, adjust the, the, that team would have had to adjust in some way. Um, but again, that's also a team that they may have been, you know, they would have been willing to make a move, I'm sure, and even like go into the tax or whatever um, to get over the hump. Um, would have been a more active team because, like you said, I mean, it was all set up. The East was there to be taken. Um, so I, I, you can definitely come up with some, some ways that wouldn't have happened. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I feel like it's hard to say what exactly how all those guys would have come back and and you know what their motivations would have been if it if they'd been all healthy and ready to go. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think regardless, that's probably what I would choose. Um, the other thing I think on that too, you know, with uh, the malice of the palace, 
I don't know what your feeling is on that team, but just from everything I've heard and, and gone back through to understand and talking to people, it just feels like that team was on the verge of um, obviously doing great stuff on court, but they seemed like they were just, it was a very combustible team um, from where well, they were at, yeah. especially with where Ron was at mentally. I mean, he's come out and been very open about that since, um, you know, like in the last couple of years, for sure. Um, it feels like maybe they could have done something, you know, really successful on court and that you wish you could have seen that, but um, and I don't think anything as catastrophic as the mouse of the palace would have happened, but regardless, it feels like right. that team just, uh, they, I don't know. I don't know. I think. Yeah. They, I mean, they definitely, it was like, it's hard to imagine going through that season and nothing crazy happening on a much smaller scale. Yeah. Um, even, in, you know, with, it, I guess that team wasn't fantastic at <laughs> handling adversity to say the least. And even you go back to year before, you know, um, you know, they're, they're battling the Pistons and, and our test has a, a critical nut punch and changes the game. And, you know, there's just, um, you never knew what would, was going to pop up. Um, and so that, that it, you know, that was a team you definitely wouldn't want to put your paycheck on standing behind because, because uh, anything could happen at, at any time. So, um, but again, they were all set up to take the East that year as well. Uh, there's no doubt if they could have kept kept the game on the court and kept playing um, and kept everybody you know healthy and and focus on the on the goal to uh, to win. Um, but we didn't even get to Christmas, so yeah, <laughs> there it yeah. is. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully, we'll get to Christmas this year. Um, but yeah. um, you know that that brings up the last part of that. You know. The, Kawhi was mentioned um, that it's interesting. I mean, Kawhi is one of the, you know, 10 best players of this decade, of course. Um, mm. But I think it brings up something interesting for me. I always, I get really caught up on this. Cause I think when I was younger, I used to think, yeah, of course, you know, go back. If you could go back, you'd want Kawhi. But I also think too, like, yeah, Kawhi was, I, I'm not trying to sound reductive. Kawhi became an instrumental player by the time, uh, the Pacers were in this stage, you know, with the, with the yeah. Spurs in 13, 14, he's uh, becoming a defensive stopper, incredible player, still working on being an offensive piece. But um, I think you look at what George Hill did for the Pacers and regardless, I know you uh, rewriting history and looking, I mean, not rewriting, but going back through history and after it's already written, of course it looks bad, you know, on paper, you, you traded for a, a an above average uh, combo guard, um, and you traded away a future Hall of Famer. But in the moment, yeah. I, it made sense for the Pacers, you know, and I think that's what I always come back on. Do the Pacers get to their heights if they have, you know, Kawhi and PG there? Do they mesh together? Are they able to actually coexist in the same environment and, and come together in the same way? I think that's something we always discount. Like, you know, there are some guys who are, you know, just bona fide stars no matter what. Like, they're going to make it. Like LeBron James, I can, I'm convinced he could have gone to Sacramento um, and he would have been fine. Yeah. And it, Sacramento was fine at that time. So you could point point to whatever team was a dumpster fire in 2003. But um, I, I think even like, I mean, a guy like Paul, you look at Paul and uh, as much as we like to criticize him, I, I think not you and I, but um, people in general, I mean, he was a, a massive success story. I mean, a three-star guy oh, yeah. coming out of high school, got offered to go to Fresno State, which is not, of course not a basketball powerhouse. Um, wasn't exactly amazing there, but he was solid, obviously showed stuff. It was the 10th pick. I mean, he, he was not expected to become the player that he was, 
Um, so you, you just wonder if he's in a different environment, how do things work out for him? You know? So I think that's something that I always keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think about Paul, he was so successful. Um, I, <laughs> he honestly didn't, didn't, hasn't really been able to handle the high, high yeah. level of success. Um, and so, but yeah, that, you know, there's, there's no way around, you know, wondering how incredible it could have been had they had Kawhi. Um, and again, like you say, there are those factors of him going to a San Antonio team that's ex extremely strong organization with so many veteran guys that he could come in and be quiet and be nothing, you know, not be the guy that anyone was looking at um, as he developed. And, and, you know, they had good um, shooting development there, which, which completely um, changed his game and turned him into a guy who should have been the top pick. In that draft, if yeah. you want to argue. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of factors in there. Um, and at the time, like you say, you know, George Hill was what the Pacers needed. Unfortunately, he was kind of making up for past sins in the draft. Um, but um, it was it was filled in need for sure, and, and one that and that he filled admirably while he was here. So um, yeah, it's uh, you know, there, there's really no way to say I'd do it again. <laughs> you know, uh, but like you say. Um, you got to go back and look at it through the lens of the actual day of the draft and the, and the situation that the team was in. And, and um, you know, at that point, it, it wasn't the worst thing the Pacers could have done. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Um, so this next question, I'm real. I, this is one of my favorite questions we've ever gotten um, from our guy, Spree Googs. Um, so it's a really long-winded question. I'm not going to be able to uh, say the entire thing. I'm just going to summarize it, which he tells me to at the bottom for my own sanity. Um, <laughs> so he says, you know, the, the way that Nate and Frank ran rotations was pretty similar, which I would certainly agree with. Uh, you have the five best offensive players all start and play together uh, for most of the first and third quarters um, and eventually get to a point where um, you have, you know, the, almost the entire bench running together for a couple minutes um, in both halves. Um, and then obviously closing again with the starters uh, to, to end halves. Um, and obviously it goes on to mention, you know, the sep having separate bench units run is, is wildly, you know, inefficient, which I would also agree with. Um, the fifth best offensive player on the roster gets buried as the worst option every time he's on the floor. And we play a third of the game with all our best scores on the bench. Um, is this, why do teams do this? Is this an ego thing for the best players? Do they value the status of a starting role over starter minutes? Is it a player chemistry thing? Is it just a gentlemanly agreement between teams to play starters versus starters and bench versus bench? Um, this is a really great and fascinating question. I think the first thing that I would say right away, um, because he also mentions the Spurs in there and talking about how it was a problem that, that Pop had solved a while ago. Um, it's a little different for the Pacers. I think there there's some things, and this is not to cop out, but I think there are some things we're going to see with Nate Bjorker into, uh, to work against this because this has been a problem for the Pacers. Um, you know, running a bench unit that is pretty much all bench guys is, is slightly problematic. I mean, that's for the most part, they always have a deep bench and they have guys who are starter level players on the bench, but your, your half court creation definitely takes a hit. Um, but you look at those Spurs team. Okay. So you have Tim Duncan who can make things happen in the post and he's a good passer out of there. Um, obviously you have Kawhi was able to start of starting to be able to create in the half court with those teams, Tony Parker, incredible half court initiator, 
Uh, Manu Ginobili was fantastic at initiating the half court as well. With the Pacers, you don't have that same kind of creation in the half court. I mean, I guess you can say Malcolm Brogdon um, to an extent, although his efficiency isn't um, like world beating. I mean, he's obviously slightly above average. TJ Warren really is not awesome at creating his own shot against other starters. He's mostly a play finisher. Um, Domas is great at getting others going. He's not really necessarily someone who's getting himself going. Miles uh, is, is Miles. Um, we still figuring things out on offense. And I guess Vic, obviously, if he's healthy, is the best on the team mm-hmm. at creating the half court. So I think my point in saying this is uh, the way that the, the Pacers starting lineup is built, all five of those guys working together is the best way for them to score uh, in a sense. I mean, obviously you can mix and match pieces off the bench, but for the most part, because there's not really a true superstar on the roster, you have a lot of guys who are good at finishing plays, a couple of guys who are good at starting plays and some, some connective tissue in there. And I think um, if you, you know, say you put in Doug McDermott for somebody else, will you lose, say if, okay, Doug McDermott goes in for Domas, which that rarely happened, but just, bear with me. If Miles is in there, okay, well then who's setting an effective screen? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? You know, you lose pieces of what you're doing by uh, moving certain guys in and out of the rotation. Um, So I think that's something that we'll see change. Uh, That's definitely something the Raptors have been good at, you know, not um, running full bench units like platoon swapping. Um, But that's kind of where I'm at on that. Yeah, I I think, Especially, you know, even when we're just talking about Miles and, and Domas, you know, that has to be um, how things are going to run. Essentially, like one of those guys on the floor <laughs> for 48 minutes um, on some level and then um, mixing in other rotations. It's, it was interesting yesterday. Uh, Bjork mentioned that he has not settled on oh, I know. starting yes, five and, and all that. And that. Uh, and he is moving, uh, you know, but, you know, he was also saying he wanted, like, the best guys to go against each other and make each other better playing defense against each other. And I think defense has been what they've been focused on anyways. Um, but it also kind of goes back to what we talked about in the last pod. I think it was the last pod. But, you know, the good depth the Pacers have without having, like you say, that superstar, um, bonafide superstar, scoring type player uh, but they have all that good depth but you're right they all they all have a role everybody's got to pull their weight um and i don't know how how they would mix and match much differently mm-hmm. um other than staggering you know the the rotations with the starters um which i, which I really feel like they're going to be doing and even today i think uh Bjork, you know was talking about how He's not afraid to use an 11th or 12th guy in the game. Um, you know, put him out there and see what see what happens. And I, I just feel like um, having that, you know, rock solid rotation in general is just not gonna gonna happen this year. Um, and you know, also it, it they want to play at a higher pace, and they you know both at both bands be disruptive on defense and basically expend a lot of energy. So they're going to have to be doing a little more um, shuffling with, with players and getting guys in and out, uh, regardless of if, if they're foul trouble or anything, just just keeping guys fresh and, and uh, working at the intensity that um, I think he's hoping to see. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it's interesting too, because you look at, um, like you're mentioning with staggering a little bit, 
the way that it normally worked is uh, Domas would come out within the first three minutes, and then you're running uh, Justin Holiday out there. Um, so I think maybe you see Miles come out early. Uh, maybe you see TJ come out early, pulling two starters early or something like that in order to have a more consistent bench unit. Um, having one of the guards, I think that's going to be significant. Obviously, the most important thing is getting Victor and Malcolm to coalesce and, and figure their, themselves out together. But I also think, you know, both guys are good enough to run things on ball and run pick and roll themselves. Um, so I, I would not be surprised or, or more. I mean, I'm sure we're going to see it, um, seeing them get solo minutes as the lead guard um, on the bench. Mm-hmm. But then that creates interesting things for Aaron Holiday. What's TJ McConnell's place? You know, I, there's a there's a lot to look at. Um, I think TJ Warren, he saw a little bit of run in the bubble as part of bench units. Um, that's something I think we could also see more of, but it's just difficult when having, you know, trying to figure out how you're going to play two bigs and one of them has to play the four. Well, what is TJ doing on the bench unit if he's not playing the four? Like it's, it's right. very messy. And obviously we're, we'll see more as, as things kind of uh, unwrap, um, especially I'm sure preseason we'll see the benches completely emptied and that'll be, cool but um yeah so on to the next question um from infinity zero system error any early 2021 pacers draft prospects uh have you been watching any uh any any stuff on uh on college basketball right now tom uh yeah i've been catching quite a few college games um but you know i really i mean i know that the uh, top guys, and right now I'm blanking, of course. Oh, Kate uh, Cunningham. Kate Cunningham's amazing. Kate Cunningham, Kate from Oklahoma. He's not gonna. Solid. He's not gonna be at Indiana. You know, it's it's fine. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. But he's it's so like fun to watch. It, see these guys, and they're like, okay, where's the 20th best guy in college? But um, and then I love the, the Suggs kid. Yeah, uh, Gonzaga's Gonzaga. amazing oh, right now. And I mean, I, I, I. Gonzaga was my backup school. I went to job. <laughs> I'm not really a fan of the way they've just taken over Northwest basketball, but I got to admit, this team is unbelievable. They're so stacked. Uh, so, and that sucks. That first game uh, was against Kansas. I was just like, stood there slack jawed. I couldn't believe how solid he was. Um, so, I like that kid. I mean, he's a competitor, he's a freaking player. So, um, he's he would be a, you know I don't even know where he is on on any of the mocks. Oh, Suggs but, is uh, top five right now. Yeah, he's got to be. I mean, he's especially when I'm thinking about about the extra months we had looking at this year's draft and all those guys. It's like so many question marks with the top guys and and these guys are just looking so solid right out of the gate and we're just starting to scratch the surface. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> it's so hard to. Think about okay, yeah, the patients will be around uh, 18, 20, 22. You know, it's it's uh, kind of a crapshoot, but I like I love watching the uh, the college game right now just to see guys that that might stick out. I know the, the kid from Chris Jackson Davis, he's been up and down at IU. Um, seems like when he runs into a bigger body, he's having trouble. So, um, you know, we'll see how how his game develops as the year goes on. Um, but other than that, yeah, I don't really have anybody for you. You got anybody? Yeah, I have a couple guys. I mean, I was watching uh, Georgetown play today because I, oh. for whatever reason, I'm a 
I'm just the glutton for watching teams that can't do shit in the half court. So that's how I ended up a Pacers fan. And then I also ended up a Georgetown fan. Again, less fan now. I always try and remember that. Not a fan, just here to observe. Um, But I'm definitely still a fan of Georgetown. Uh, Jeez, they have like no on-ball creation. But they they played uh, West Virginia today. Um, Deuce McBride for for the Mountaineers, probably their best player. Uh, I think he's a two-guard Two, two, he's like a two, three. West Virginia has like yeah. just a lot of really long he's athletic solid. dudes. Um, he's nice. I like him. He can handle the ball. I don't think he's going to be a primary initiator or anything at the next level, but he's a good passer. Um, he can shoot. Definitely athletic as hell, and he plays really good defense. Um, so he's somebody. I don't know if he's going to end up at twenty, but I know he's not top ten right now because um, I think he's a second or third year player. So he's down a little bit, but I, I liked him a lot watching him. Um, also, the Schwebe, I think that's how you say his last name for, for West Virginia. He's like a five-star, um, kind of undersized center, but he's pretty athletic. He, he's like a slightly more athletic Bismack Biombo. So not somebody who I think the Pacers should target. I would hope not. Um, but regardless, <laughs> he was a fun player to watch. Oh, man. Um, yeah. West Virginia is a fun team. I, I'm not like the biggest Bob Huggins fan, but uh, I always enjoy watching WVU play. Yeah, they're tough. I mean, they, they gave uh... – uh gonzaga fits here at the field house um the other day and really now suggs got hurt missed most of that, the action in that game kept it close but um but still they they're just always so tough and you know they're going to be able to come in and those guys that are pro level with them they're going to be able to play defense which is always a nice thing to hang your hat on so um yeah that that uh you know just a quick aside those games at the field house obviously revealed the major changes in there. It was mm-hmm. crazy to see <laughs> all the infrastructure down in the lower bowl that has changed. So yeah. um, it's going to be a while before fans can get in there, but um, you, know, you have to get used to the visuals there, even on TV. So it's crazy. Yeah. Great seats and a couple extra tunnels. And so, um, yeah, I'm sure underneath in the guts, it looks completely different. So very interesting. Yeah. Well, also, I think another guy I mentioned too. Um, you know, our our guy put it out there in the in the question as well. Um, but uh, I mean, Corey Kispert is interesting. He's a wing guy, Gonzaga. Um, originally, I never thought he was going to be oh, an NBA yeah. prospect like the first year or two. But he's uh, he's gotten a little he's bit more athletic since he's been there, and he's a really good shooter. Um, I can't really speak well enough on his defense. I didn't really love his defense watching him play. Um, I've only watched Gonzaga play once this year. I was going to watch them. Uh, they were going to play Baylor yesterday, and the game got postponed because of COVID. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was a bummer because I think that was going to be one, two. And Baylor had a couple guys, too, that I wanted to watch. I know most of them aren't going to end up NBA, but they're pretty high-level um, pretty high level players. So I'm still working on scouting some of the guys, but I have been watching a decent amount. But, uh, yeah, I'm hopeful for that. They said they're going to try and reschedule that Baylor game because that would be a good one. Yeah, that was supposed to be here, too. Um, but, yeah, they had, I think Gonzaga had a couple – couple positives so that's where we're at 2020 yeah pretty much um well on to the next question from you babaya um on the new defense uh bjorkren said that 95 percent of the team practices are focused on the defensive end i think it was just the one practice not to dunk on him i just random thought um this probably means the team will look very different compared to the defense of the mcmillan burke era um, imagine the defense will have a lot of switching. The team will be more aggressive against steals and boards. Miles was the anchor of the defense the last few years, and his role was basically related to rim protecting. I think his role will change. 
think that any, any other player will have a big change on his role defensively. So I, I like this question. Uh, what are your thoughts first off? Uh, yeah, well, I, I definitely think there's going to be, you know, switching um, and that, that type of action is going to be <laughs> far more prevalent. Um, I don't think that, um, you know, Miles is going to lose his rim protection role, um, I would think, because um, it can be a critical anchor back there um, and, and, you know, really allow the, the pressure on the perimeter to be uh, stronger when you got that, guy, that last line of defense back there. Um, so I'll be interested. I'm interested also in, you know, the, the variation, um, you know, aside from just, you know, man to man switching and all that, but, you know, um, if they throw in some junk zones here and there and, and, um, uh, what type of variations as a game is going on, if, if a game's being played out and maybe one guy's killing there, a couple guys or, um, or, just the whole game plan and working what you know, what's scrapped and, and, and put into kind of change the flow of the game and, and try and get some momentum back for the Pacers. So um, it'll be interesting that for me, that's kind of the thing I'm looking at is how, how versatile that the defense can be. And, and um, especially when things are going the wrong way. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, uh, especially looking at miles. I mean, I just don't really think you can change his role. Um, because yeah. he's so good at what he does. I mean, he can get out on the perimeter better than Domas can. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you're wasting him if you're not using him to protect the rim. Um, so I, I think I'd actually say Domas might have a decent change in his role. Like I, maybe there will be some kind of blitzing mm-hmm. that that occurs on on ball screens, um, kind of like what Denver does with Nikola Jokic. Um, I think Jokic is actually a little bit faster on his feet than Domas just in kind of trying to watch them together. I looked at some stuff uh, over the summer on that. Um, but I think that's definitely possible. Um, you know, I don't anticipate doing anything besides drop too much with with Domas. But I mean, any, I, I don't know. Nate Bjorkman's going to do some creative stuff. I wonder if things will change with TJ, though, um, because, I mean, he was kind of the he's I, I don't want to smirch him. I mean, he can stop players and he's good in his own right, but he can get caught on screens and um, and the like, you know. But I mean, that happens when you're six foot eight. Um, there aren't really a lot of guys who are going to be able to get around screens super tightly when you're six foot eight. But um, I wonder if he's going to still be the go-to guy that they put on the best player of other teams. Um, obviously, it's not every single game, but a lot of the mm-hmm. regular season last year, they threw him at pretty much everybody. I mean, he guarded Luca, he guarded uh, Trey Young for a little bit. Um, I mean, he's he's he guards a little bit of everyone. So um, I, I wonder if that will change much. And I also think switching will help him too because he he can like right. he gets caught on screens. A lot of guys on the Pacers are not great at chasing over screens, which is like we've mentioned. I mean, we talked about that on the pod. Um, that was something that was mentioned in the Indy star about why they were, you know, kind of frustrated with Nate McMillan's defense, because there aren't a lot of the guys just aren't good at getting over screens and it's harder to do that than to switch. Um, oh, it's so, really hard. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, so that'll be interesting to see that also brings up, I mean, I think Ed Sumner is somebody else to bring up too, just because mm-hmm. there's going to be a deeper rotation they're going to have to be more creative with the defense. Sumner is one of the guys who I have complete faith in being a positive on defense in, in, in more ways than one. Obviously he's going to gamble a little bit. He's still working on some things in team defense, but um, in terms of, you know, just being laterally quick and being able to, to, to make things happen. Um, I, I really am excited to see him get some, some role as a point of attack defender. Yeah. I, mean, I think he'll really be key to that. And, 
you know, I think the, the great thing about T.J. Warren was that, I mean, at least when he was on the ball, you know, he was pretty solid. And mm-hmm. and just knowing that he has that compared to where we were at this time last year, wondering about his, his yeah. overall game, honestly. Um, it, it's nice to know now that, you know, he has that <laughs> kind of resume coming in now and that gives Bjorkman something to work with a little bit more. Um, so I, I do think, and it, you know, it's not unlike, thinking offensively, but um, how these rotations set up and the combinations he has. And, and I mean, it sounds like, you know, that's part of what he's doing here in these first couple of days of camp with not having a set starting lineup as they're, as they're uh, playing is like seeing who works well with, with what, with, you know, what combinations and, um, you know, it's the only way to uncover something. And uh, so again, it's just, you know, something that's real interesting. I mean, we're, we're all looking forward to what, what they're going to be doing offensively, but, um, you know, it'll be just as interesting to see what happens on that defensive end as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, like, just to put it into context, uh, this is my question to you off that. So since 12-13, the Pacers have been top 13 or higher in defense every single year except for Nate McMillan's first year. Um do you think that the defense is still going to be a top 10 or even, you know, top 12 defense this next season? Cause I think there are going to be some big changes and I, I don't want to say it's just because of Dan Burke, the defense was different, but playing the system they did right. really helped out. I, I mean, I, I think it's very difficult to argue that last year's team um, without that system in place is a top six defense. Like just the, the, some of the hole was definitely better than the individual parts in terms of defense. And a lot of it's on miles, you know, it's in what he can do on the back line, but um, I, I do. Uh, I agree. I'm really interested to see if there is a defensive drop off and if there is how much, because um, I, I think the offense is just inherently going to be better, um, which maybe that's a foolish thing to to assume. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. that's you know just a given for what we're kind of coming from. But um, yeah, that's definitely I agree. That's one of my big questions headed into next year. Yeah. And, you know, the pace of play is probably going to impact that, too, as far as the mm-hmm. numbers and things. Um, which, which I think helped the defense out uh, the past two years. But uh, you know, I, I, I still feel you know they have all those parts that, and and they're certainly capable of having that defensive mindset. Um, uh, so uh, you know, I think with the energy that it seems like everybody's um, enthused about getting out there and and um, giving whatever Brooklyn has. Um, in store for these guys that they all seem to be excited about uh, letting it rip. So, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully there'll be some early success to, to uh, cement that attitude and, and build on going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, so I have a, I have an, a couple questions. We always get a couple questions from SpongeBob karate chops. Um, so here's, here's the first one. I'm a big fan of this one. Uh, as a former fighter, how do you feel about NBA fights? I happen to watch a YouTube title, Anthony Mason fight compilation today. Loved it. I don't really <laughs> like violence yet. I love it, which makes no sense. I kind of understand that. Um, maybe I just like the freedom of it as long as no one really gets hurt. Um, also, the organizations don't want them to fight. It's not a good risk for the player's health career. They're getting fine. Uh, okay, so just fights in general. Uh, NBA fights, I'm kind of out on because they're really not fights which is a good thing. Yeah. I don't really want guys who are trained to fight, fighting each other on TV um, and getting hurt. I mean, we had, it's not like it was, I want to say it was scary, but I mean, we had the uh, Sixers and 
um, Timberwolves at the beginning of last year um, got into that kind of brawl and the Timberwolves mm-hmm. spiraled out of nowhere after that. Um, I, I, I'm not a big fan of fights in the NBA. I think it's a bad look personally. Um, I get like jarring with dudes and, you know, if you throw a punch, it, it happens. Um, but for the most part, I'm, I'm pretty much not a big fan of it. I, I just, because of, I don't love how things get pulled up from the nineties, like clips of Bill Lambeer and, you know, the Knicks heat brawl. Like, I, I just don't think that that stuff is good for the, for the league image or just for players in general, personally. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, at the time those nineties, well, and even, I mean, even got 86, seventies, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were flat out brawls. I mean, guys are throwing haymakers, um, at times and, you know, once in a while would hit, but, <laughs> um, but, there was a sense of, you know, uh, especially, you know, in the 90s, it was like, you, you know, you got to regulate the <laughs> the other team, basically, um, and and not get pumped. And, and there's so much going on now with, with the talking and um, whining and stuff that every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, the guy needs to be punched, literally. <laughs> you know, um, but and really, they, they can't even really do anything. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, we saw, you know, a, a couple shoves and, and that's about it. Um, and if you do throw a punch, it's, you know, the, the, the punishment's so severe. Obviously, um, Pacers. Hey, the Pacers played about, a part in that. Yeah. <laughs> played that. Yeah. I mean, they, they uh, completely recalibrated how anything happens with the brawl. So, um, and we, we certainly don't want to go back to what led to that. So it's understandable. But, um, you know, it's not not completely unlike hockey, where you got guys out there who are, are trying to keep their stars clean, and and if if um, you know you got big guys hitting your star, but you know with with flagrant fouls and everything now, I guess that is the way it's kind of regulated because um, you can't really hit a guy even close to how they did you know back then, which would often lead to somebody stepping in. So um, I guess in general, the league has has uh, done a great job of of kind of taking the you know the fights out of the game for the most part i mean think, tempers are going to flare at, at points but um but there's no um you know the, the ramifications for for throwing a punch are so severe now um that you know it's not it takes a lot of <laughs> uh it takes a major incident to, for something to spill over and and overall, I, you know, you're right. That, that's good for the game. And that, you know, that's what we're there to watch is basketball. And, and um, it's only if you're losing or in frustration that, you know, anybody wants to see a fight. Uh, but really, that's not, um, you know, not not the way it should be. If, if you're getting beat, you're getting beat. Take it and move on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, it's. You know, since he asked me directly, I, you know, as being a fighter, um, or I, I wouldn't consider myself one anymore, but I was, you know, I, I spent uh, my fair share of time in fights that I should not have been in outside the ring. Uh, it's not worth it. For the most part, when you're fighting with someone, it's just because you're angry and you don't really know what else to do instead of just sitting with your emotions. So I think I, I think about that with basketball, too. Um, mm. Like, like I, we mentioned the Heat Knicks earlier. I mean, if that fight doesn't happen. That dramatically changes what goes on in, in the playoffs and, and all that. And that Heat team yeah. was so good. Like, 
people i hate i hate saying the word people for, people forget because it makes me feel like an, an aggregation account on twitter but um i mean that heat team was amazing with alonzo and uh just all the guys on there eddie jones like that, those were fun teams i love going back and watching them play it's just yeah i'm not about it and also my last thing off that can you imagine if the malice at the palace happened today like in the social media era Oh yeah, be the Pacers insane. would be like kicked out of the NBA or something. I don't know. <laughs> We're not not that far, but it would be uh, it would be like ten times worse. But think about all of the all of the video of it. Yeah. Also. Oh my god, there'd be a million angles of a million different things. It'd that be going on the that, worst that PR nightmare seen. in the history oh of sports, god. probably. Like, and that's not even being <laughs> dramatic. You know, I think that would be uh, that would be painful <laughs> for Adam yeah. Silver to deal with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, so where is my next question? All right. From Yubabaya on trade habits. Um, Toronto is a team not afraid of making trades in season. So, you know, Gasol, Ibaka, PJ Tucker, um, big trades in general, DeRozan, Kawhi trade. That hasn't been the case with the Pacers lately with the majority of the big acquisitions being via free agency. Last week, move the Pacers made was the one they were forced to do in the PG trade. Do you think that with the York on board and KP saying they will change the way they operate, focus more on playoffs and winning everything possible in the regular season, this means that more trades in season and more trades in general? Um, what are your thoughts on that, Tom? Because I, I have thoughts. Well, I, I do too. Now that um, think about it, because, um, you know, going back to a few years ago, when you know they brought in Thad Young, they brought in Bojan Bogdanovic, and and was it Collins? And they they brought in these players who were veteran guys, good players. And when they brought them in, I thought this is smart. They can you know these guys play well. They'll be perfect at the trade deadline. We can get some future assets as they're kind of reloading here. Um, and then they played so well. It was like. Oh, mm-hmm. we don't want to trade these guys. Everybody loves them. They're playing well together. Let's keep going. Um, and then, you know, uh, they kind of did that a little bit last year, although these guys are on, on long-term deals. But uh, but they're all on pretty good contracts, right? Uh, what I would say are very tradable contracts. So, uh, But, again, they've been playing well as well. Um, and, you know, not giving the front office really that need to break things up. Uh, but they – still have that option um even with this team and obviously we know god knows what as as you know feathery as things are going with victor right now um over the last week um who knows what how things are going to really happen when when the games are being played and the season that rolls so um i you know i wouldn't i i think they would be willing to to make some deals um but I feel like the circumstances recently have just made it hard for them to pull a trigger on guys when during the season um, because, you know, they've been really good in the regular season. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's – I don't want to say that the Pacers are a trade-averse team, but I see what he's getting at. I mean, a lot like you're mentioning, like Thad, Bojan, I mean, obviously TJ. I mean, that was a huge acquisition. But I think the – one second, my dog's you know. Come on. Um, I think the point he's making is about getting a star player um, or like doing a trade deadline trade because the team does not do trade deadline yeah. trades. It's been, I mean, since Evan Turner, that's the last one, you know. Um, but no, but what I, I'm saying, what I'm saying just real quick about like Fad and Bullion and those guys, 
Um, I'm not saying that they went out and made those deals. I mean, mm-hmm. they. I felt like they signed them so they could trade them at oh, the yeah. deadline to get some either future assets or a better player of some sort. But then they, they didn't. They were playing so well, they didn't want to break that up. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I'm saying. Like they, if I felt like they've been putting themselves in position to do that, um, and the and the success of the team prevented it. Um, now you could, in hindsight, say, "Wow, oh, they should have done it anyways," because now, uh, you know, those guys have moved on, and, and really they don't have anything to show for it other than some fun regular seasons, right? So, um, so anyways, that's kind of what I was saying. But no, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think. Um... You know, I, I guess it just really depends on how the season goes and how seasons go in general. You know, you can't make a trade deadline move if you're not a team that's going to benefit um, substantially enough from making a trade deadline move. Um, right. And, you know, for the most part, if a star becomes available, um, it's because they're wanting to go, you know, to L.A. or <laughs> Miami mm-hmm. or something like that. It's uh, it's a little bit harder to, to, to get a star to um, part ways to come to Indiana. Um I'm not trying to cop out or or make excuses, but, you know, I think that is, that that definitely does play a part in it. Um, But I ultimately, I agree. I mean, I think it's all about having the right environment and timing though, before you make a move like that, because it's hard to be an all chips in team when um, Herb Simon is the owner, to be frank. Um, So I I don't know. Would you agree with that? Uh, Yeah. Well, I'm also, again, circumstances, um, Maybe like I'm too I, hard I, on the Simons, but I yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I here's know. the thing. Here's the thing I feel about because I mean, people say, "Well, they don't go into luxury tax and all that," and I, I understand that. But literally, I, I brought it up earlier with that team that that you know the as they were heading before the Paul George injury. But you know, I felt like that team they would have gone for it. They would have spent. They would have maybe made a trade or whatever to get that team a little more help. But then the injury, it's again, what, what are you trading for then? Same with uh, a couple of years ago when Victor got hurt in the middle of the season. You know, I was like, let's go get Comley, and then we'll have this, you know, veteran playoff uh, guy for, uh, for the uh, playoff run. Yeah, his salary is crazy, but who cares? This is the year to, to try it, and then, you know, you, you live with that salary. Um, but then Victor gets hurt. It's like, well, now now you're not trading for Conley and trying to bolster the the uh, you know the the salary. So you know the, they've just really had some untimely bad luck, honestly, which is you know makes it tough to see what they might do if everybody. Even last year, I mean, they had so much um, injury questions all year. Obviously, Vic, but um, you know it wasn't the time to be putting all your chips in next year. Now, if everybody's healthy um, and if Vic is going to leave, if, you know, if that's eventually it, then yeah, let's make a big move to build around everybody else. But, or if not, and everything's going well, then um, they might be able to do something and, and add some salary uh, to this team for the, for the stretch run. But um, it, it is, you know, it's incredible when you when you stop and start stacking up those circumstances, which you know, yeah, they are excuses, but it's it's um, you know not unreasonable, I guess, um, considering what happened. 
Yeah, they're excuses, but they're excuses with validity. You know, you can't make them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't do a big splashy trade when, um, you know, two of your most important rotation players are out. So I think that's a really good point to bring up. Um, but I, I'd agree. You know, but I also would push back a little bit and say, like, um, I I don't know what your feelings were when it happened because obviously we didn't, we did not know what the uh, ordeal was going to be like when Tyreek Evans got here. But I, I mean, Tyreek Evans for me. When that signing happened, that was the biggest free agent signing for the Pacers since David West, because um, he was coming off that incredible year he had in Memphis. Obviously, it had mm-hmm. kind of a, a you know a, a not I I struggle to say a bad career. He's injury prone guy, uh, not right. always on great teams, and he's not the most most efficient player ever. But that year in, in Memphis, I mean, he was almost like a like a twenty five and five guy. It was incredible. Shot well from three. Um, so that signing, I mean, I, he was. Um, rumored to go to a bunch of different teams on, at the trade deadline that year, and then he ended up going to free agency, and the Pacers got him on the deal that they did. Sometimes things just don't work out. You know, I think if Tyree right. comes in and he's not having the issues he is off court, I mean, maybe he's still with the Pacers and he is the sixth man, and you don't spend the money to go out and get Jeremy Lamb. Like, I, I don't know. It, it just – their yeah. circumstances uh, always play a part. Absolutely, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Hey, I almost forget about that. <laughs> you know, the, the Tyreek Evans, because there were times when he was, he had, he flashed a couple times, and it's like, yeah, this is, you know, and, and you talk about a guy who they, um, you know, was kind of had an altering role in a guy who could be a major guy coming off the bench. Um, and, you know, he, he kind of had the ability to play that role, and it was, it was good when he was available, um, and he was all, you know, ready to play, but, um, you know, ultimately it wasn't something that was going to be long-term. Yeah, exactly. Um, so another question from you, Baya. With the All-Star game in Indy being postponed to 2024, who do you think will be the All-Star? I mean, who, who do you think will be the team All-Star this year? Um, Domas, Victor, Brogdon, someone else, Turner Warren, or someone that is not even on the team? Um, it's a good question. I First of all, do you think there will be an All-Star on this team? So he's saying who's going to be also this year or in 2024? I think this year. I don't. I don't this think okay. 2024. Uh, okay, we could answer 2024 too. I I'd say nobody is from this team. I can't. Be. Yeah, it's hard yeah, to say. That's too far <laughs> out for me. I don't know. Um, but yeah, out of uh, out of anyone on the team, who do you think would be an all star? Uh, let's see. I kind of felt like there was a little bit of Domas fatigue at the end of the year last year nationally a little bit. Yeah, but of course, there's <laughs> injury Duncan. issues with that. Um, and oh well, yeah, um, maybe that's where it's all coming from. But um, I think you know the the wild card fifty fifty is Vic, depending upon how healthy he is, and if he's flashing at all, he'll get a lot of a lot of uh, attention, um, even if he's not necessarily you know being the most productive player if he's. If he's, uh, you know, able to play and able to make big shots and and do the big things that we have seen in the past, um, I, I'd say he would be someone who would uh, definitely get probably more votes than anybody, but not not enough to be a starter. Uh, but um, that's the one thing when I, when I go back to some bonus. So um, I don't think. You know, the, the league people, the coaches, <laughs> um, they appreciate what Sabonis does. So um, if he's if he's 
you know, doing that 18 to 10 or 18 or 12, um, he, he's definitely probably going to be the most sure bet, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I, in turn, I'm not going to look at this realistically. Um, okay. well, I guess realistically, <laughs> I think if it's going to be somebody, it would either be Vic coming back and you know, hitting uh, 95% of what he was or something like that, yeah. maybe even better. I don't know. Um, Cause I think in, in the East, that's an all-star player. And even in the West, I mean, you could argue, it just depends. Um, I mean, a 17, 18 year, he would have been an all-star on either side. Um, and then Domas, I guess, uh, but don't I mean, that's going to be hard for Domas. It'll be really hard for him to make it unless he takes another leap in numbers, which um, I mean, I think you could argue his minutes might go down this year, considering they're going to play a deeper rotation. They want to get Goga more minutes. I don't know. Um, my ideal all-star for the team is TJ Warren. I mean, uh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you just think about it. If TJ Warren's an all-star, that means he takes a meaningful jump in his play. Um, he's probably a better passer. He's still shooting well. Like, yeah. um, So I think if TJ Warren becomes an all-star, um, that would be ideal for the Pacers because uh, you know what you're getting with Domas. Uh, I mean, maybe he becomes like a better individual scoring threat uh, or something. But Yeah, and, I, I, I could agree with that. Yeah. I think um, also like I mean he's a guy like you say if he if he takes a jump I mean he's a guy who could be scoring in the twenty point a game range and if you can get over twenty points a game you're you're going to be in the conversation for the All Star game of course you know there are more uh, there's there are more All Stars I think in the East uh, this year as well yeah uh, potential All Stars so um, uh, competition is going to be a little steeper. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, because I agree. So that's, I mean, that's my point. Like, if TJ is, uh, he was almost a 20 point per game score this year. I think it was like 19.5 or something like that. It was really close. Right. Um, so, I mean, he's taking that much higher steps. We scoring like 23, 24 points a game on like similar scoring efficiency. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, like, I think that would be just a massive leap. Um, but yeah, I, I think ultimately it'd be, it'd be Vicar Domas. And if, if Vic's an all-star again, I think that's pretty good for the Pacers. That'd so, be incredible. <laughs> yes. That'd be very good for, for the Pacers and for Vic too. I still, as much as yeah. he's not uh, in, in the greatest light in Indiana, I still want the best for him. Um, all right. So two more questions. Um, one from Dwayne K. I have posted about this before, but if I see a possible issue with Nate's three-point style of play, if the Pacers team continues to go cold as a group as they often have in the past, how would you expect Nate to respond? Um, so it's, it's an interesting question to bring up. I mean, I think this is my way of looking at it. Um, the issue with the Pacers in, in terms of three-point shooting, and, and I don't know if I'd say that's been an issue for them in the past. The reason that they have had three-point shooting struggles is because they do so much from the mid-range the mid-range game goes cold and then they start jacking shots from three late in the shot clock because that's all they can get. And they're trying to get back in the game and it doesn't work. Um, you have to be a consistent team throughout the, the game from three. Um, like I, I remember I talked about this with Caitlin, I think before the bubble even started, but you looked at the games where the Pacers took their, um, you know, uh, you, they took attempts out of Ben, like a, a if, if they regularly took them, like say that you regularly take like 30 a game, you're in like the top 10. I don't think that's actually true, but like, just bear with me. Um, if yeah. they'd done that throughout, you look at the games throughout the regular season, like half the time it's because they're down and they're trying to take threes late to get back in. Um, mm -hmm. So I think I'm not really worried about them going cold. Um, I'm just more worried about them having consistent attempts getting up, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it, it all goes into how you're getting those shots and where you're getting them and, 
in rhythm and all that. And if that is your focus, getting those shots. Um, and again, uh, I go back to the everyone saying, even even TJ McCollum today was talking about, um, you know, he's still kind of a mid-range guy. Obviously, he's not he's not a great career three-point shooter and certainly not a volume three-point shooter. Um, Does he have to show the slowest shot release on the team? It's got to be close. The, he takes yeah. it takes him like six seconds to get a shot off. Feels like I but know that's he, an but exaggeration, he, but but even he was saying that you know they were working with them on shooting it and shooting it confident. He, he also said you know they're not ab- abolishing all mid range mm-hmm. shots, you know, because occasionally you're gonna that's gonna be a shot. Uh, but also it goes back to that, and you know we talked about it with Domas and as well. It was like you know. Getting getting those guys shots in rhythm and then um, and and having their confidence to know like yeah this is my shot I'm taking it and not worrying about missing it <laughs> um, so I think you know there is a mental side to that and, and the shooting and I feel like I, I be hard you know it, it's gonna happen I'm sure in a game or two here and there but you know everybody going cold on the same night. Um, you know, if the the focus and the and the general way they're playing is to get those shots, um, I I find that you know that that would be really hard. And if that, if that happens quite a bit, then it's going to be a long season. But I think they got enough shooters that they can, um, you know, they'll find a the guy who's cooking on that night. Yeah, and I think also too, it's not even about the three point shooting for me. I think. Um, just to answer Dwayne's original question, you know, on what do you think York would do if they're struggling from three? Um, I think the whole idea well, is yeah. this is what I come down to. It's not about um, being a prolific three-point shooting team. It's about spreading the floor enough to force you to be guarded the entire width of the court, right? Um, yeah. Just forcing more area to be open because that expands driving lanes. That makes it easier to get one-on-one matchups. Um, and that's ideal. You know, I think if you are struggling from three, a given night, but they still have to guard you because they know you're going to take it. That's huge because we've seen so much over the last three years um, because they're a hesitant three-point shooting team for the most part. Um, you see guys who get left open like that in the playoffs. You know, I think right, that's right. Uh, if if you're forcing those guys to be guarded no matter what, that, that opens up other things. And obviously this team has a lot of guys who are great at creating you know, within 18 to, to, to eight feet. So I think that creates a lot of interesting uh, opportunities that way. And I'm, I'm kind of laughing, thinking about uh, Bjork was talking about, um, was asked about Gogo Batadze and, and he was just like raving about how skilled he was. And when they're five out, you know, he can handle the ball and, and, um, and pass and dribble handoffs and everything he needs to do. And, and, I think, man, if you're, you're building that guy up and getting him <laughs> attacking offensively, um, that's going to be, you know, similar for everybody on the roster. That's going to be a great thing. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so last question here from friend of the show, Rhett Bauer, over at 8 points, 9 seconds. Um, assuming he plays somewhere between regular season Warren and bubble Warren, do you think we see an extension before the season is over? 125% of his current salary would be four for 60, which I think is low. My guess for his next deal is around 18 to 20 mil. Um, I totally agree because if an extension happens, it would have to be 125% of his current salary. That would be the max. Um, TJ Warren is definitely more than a four for 60 player. Um, 
I actually think his deal will probably be higher than 18 to 20 million. I think he'd be around um, like 22 to 23 million a year for four. I, I think where, where would you uh, kind of project his salary out at? Yeah. I, uh, I hate, I hate guys have one good year and then all of a sudden we're like, yeah, dang, we got so worried about salary, but that's the NBA. Yeah. But, no, I know but it's annoying. I don't he has like another year. But. Yeah. And he has another year on, on that, but the extension, I think, you know, honestly, I hope it's a, a 22 um, type extension, 22 per year. Um, it, I was thinking of, um, about this, just uh, for some reason I was looking at the, the future cap numbers mm-hmm. and it is um, interesting to think about. I mean, I've, when he's up, I think, you know, it's not going to be a problem for them to extend them, honestly. And I think it probably would be smart if they could, if they could get that good number, um, you know, the earlier the better, you know. Um, mm. But crap, I just completely lost my train of thought there. No, you're right. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, yeah, I agree. I just going off that. I mean, I think the earlier that they can sign TJ to a longer deal, I think the better. But it's also like that's going to be difficult because, like, like Rhett brought up, it's a good point. He's not someone who. You know, coming off of his deal, his his extension really doesn't make sense. Even just given how he played last year, he's worth way more than four for sixty. Because um, I mean, that comes out to yeah. what fifteen million a year. He's definitely worth more than that. He would get more than that on the open market. Um, so I don't think that that is something that's in the cards for this year. Oh, I th- yeah, yeah. It it you know, he's got to keep betting on himself at this point. Yeah, well, yeah, and obviously. he has he has fully guaranteed deal through 2022. So we still got two more years, and there's no team or, yeah. or rookie option on it. So it's I mean not rookie, <laughs> player option. Um, right. But yeah. Right. So, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think ultimately, I yeah, I, I come down to I think he'd be probably like a 22 million dollar player just because of a forward who can score, he can shoot, he can play defense, and he's six foot eight. So I think that's any team in the league would be willing to to throw quite a bit of money at TJ Warren, especially if he's um, you know, close to the bubble version this year. I mean, yeah, bubble and- bubble Warren is almost the max player. Like he's not going to be there, <laughs> yeah. but that's like, yeah. But yeah, and the oh, the other thing I was I was thinking that I lost uh, earlier, but the you know they're kind of dealing with the artificial cap right now. Yeah. Anyways, um, and it sounds like they're just going to keep that going here. So um, again, um, it's just about finding those slots to to fill out your roster and, um, uh, you know, God willing, the uh, actual uh, basketball-related income will increase because things are going so well the next couple of years. But um, it, it's probably going to be a ripple effect on that that's going to go through at least next year. So, um, I, again, I, I think that um, when you're talking about the actual dollars and stuff, I mean, I think these guys are going to, uh, you know, TJ's going to want to get what the open market will bear. And um, and hopefully that it, it does continue to rise for him because he's playing so well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, Tom, do you have any closing thoughts before we get out of here? I think uh, we had a couple more questions, but I think I'm about ready to wrap it up. Yeah, we've been going for a while now. Yes, we, we have. All the questions we, again. we keep getting I mean, some awesome missing, questions. Mentioned at the beginning, but I appreciate everybody uh, jumping in, and and uh, I know that <laughs> can't get to every all of them, but um, uh, I just appreciate all the 
all the comments and, and everything I know on the site that there's just great um, engagement and comments going on. And, and this is really, I, I was thinking the other day, it's like, you know, not only is it, you know, the, the coaching change intriguing, but this team coming back completely um, to give it one more shot is, you know, you'd think there wouldn't be so many questions, but there's so many questions around this team. Uh, that is, is, you know, I don't want to say the strangest, but um, one of the more different type of years that, that I can remember going forward. So um, I'm just real excited for that. Even that first preseason game is going to be be uh, real interesting, and it will be here before we know it. And, uh, and I can't wait to keep keep talking about it. And me too, Tom. Um, well, thank you for coming on, of course, and, and doing this with me. And to everyone listening, thank you for sending in questions. I apologize for the ones we did not get to. Um, but we will be getting to more questions again, hopefully soon. Uh, I'll try and answer them on IC. Um, thank you again for listening. Of course, like I mentioned, be sure to rate, review, share this uh, on social media, follow us on social media. Um, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch soon. Have a good rest of your day.